Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's episode, I speak with photographer, writer, educator, and podcaster, Iberian X Pirello. Iberian X has over 25 years of experience in the photographic industry, having worked for companies and institutions such as Nikon, Rangefinder Publishing, and Art Center College of Design, to name a few. Iberian X has a passion for street photography and photographing people, and can often be found documenting the streets of Los Angeles, California, where he currently resides. Iberian X is also the host of the long-running podcast, The Candid Frame, where he has interviewed over 500 creative professionals for over the past 15 years. I highly recommend checking out Iberian X podcast, which is available on all podcast platforms. I was excited to get a chance to speak with Iberian X about his journey with photography, so I hope you enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. Well, now welcome on Ibarian X Pirello, a photographer, educator, the godfather of photographic podcasting. Excited <laughs> to have you, man. Um, I guess how you been doing, man? It's been a crazy year with the pandemic and everything, but how you hanging out? How you hanging in there, man? I'm I'm doing good. I got my first shot yesterday, and it feel like my arm was used as a punching bag by both <laughs> Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. All right, man. I woke up this morning, man. It was just aching, and I sleep on my left side too, so it was like it was no fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I actually had mine two days ago. Luckily, no none of the crazy side effects, but I'm still I'm still here, man. Still kicking. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, I guess like photographically, photographically, what's got you excited these days? Um, have you still been kind of out there doing your street photography during the pandemic and everything, or what's kind of got you inspired these days? Not so much the street photography because I, I, I live with my wife and her, her mom mm -hmm. and she's about 88 now. So she was at high risk. So I really wasn't going out into the street much at all for the whole, for the whole past year. Yep. I'm only going to finally get out into the street. I think the weekend after next, um, now that, um, I have had the shot and also, we also got COVID except my mother-in-law, but it was all mild, mild yeah. symptoms, like minor flu symptoms. Mm -hmm. So after getting my first shot, I feel more comfortable about heading out into the streets. And, um, but, uh, really I've been just, you know, in terms of my street work, I've been making photographs as, as I could while I was running errands, but I have, I work at the Huntington library and gardens in, the, in the San Gabriel Valley. And I pitched uh, a project there to document the uh, Huntington during COVID. So for the last God year, almost year now, I've been working on a documentary project, um, photographing every facet of the of the campus as they sort of dealt with, you know, having to deal with all these sort of restrictions, um, and and sort of ad adapting because they have a lot of people who visit there to visit the gardens and visit the galleries. And there's a huge archive of art and books and manuscripts there. And so they still had to function to some degree. And everyone was so busy managing that, I realized, well, this, this would be a missed opportunity. So I pitched the idea to my boss and he took it to his boss and they said, okay. So I, that's one of the things that I've been working on. Uh, and it's been a saving grace. I really didn't think about it as such until just, just recently as I was looking at the work um, that I think if I didn't have that, I, I think I would have gone a little crazier just because I had an, a creative outlet that was really kind of interesting and was kind of in line with 
of the way that I like to photograph anyway. Yeah, because are you the type of person you kind of carry a camera with you everywhere you go pretty much? Or do you kind of, yeah, that's how you kind of do it? Yeah, I always have a camera with me. But but this allowed me to focus to a greater degree than just, you know, having the camera looking for something while I'm going out for groceries or going to fill up the gas tank or something like that. Because then it was just like, can I find anything before I have to go back home? And, you know, and I produced some nice shots along the way. I I think it was an interesting challenge in, in being limited so much. But uh, the kind of work that I'm doing at the Huntington is far more um, gratifying and challenging. Um, and I'm really looking forward to um, going through the work at some point and seeing, you know, what I actually uh, actually did. I think it's probably some of the better work that I've done along the, on those lines, but it's not uh, publicly visible. It's just for use right now um, by the institution. But I'm hoping at some point they'll they'll okay for people outside of, of the Huntington to have a chance to see it and and see what, what was happening on the campus. Yeah, definitely. And when you're working on like like project based work like that, do you have like a process in mind of like how you approach that type of work? Do you kind of like map it out and like how you want to approach it, or is it more kind of like an organic process and you kind of let the work kind of lead itself? I guess. Yeah, m- probably more the latter. Yeah. Um, I, before COVID, I was working on two projects. One was documenting um, life with my mother-in-law, who you know, who's, I mentioned is 88, and she suffers from, uh, or is living with, with Alzheimer's and, and some dementia. Mm-hmm. So it was about how our lives have changed as a result of that. And another project was photographing young families during uh, during their morning routine. So as soon as they get out of bed in the morning, I'd be there for three hours sort of photographing like a fly on the wall, their interactions and their relationships. So as soon as things get freed up, I'm hoping to return to that project. Um, and I've still been photographing my, my mother-in-law, uh, but to a lesser degree now. Um, but yeah, so I've been able to, you know, keep busy and then, you know, all the other stuff that I always have to do. Uh, there's no shortage of, of busy. I know, man, I was going to ask you that you juggle a lot of different hats, man, from doing your own work to the podcast and your education, you, you, you publish books or writing like, yeah. How do you balance all that stuff? Cause even myself with this podcast, sometimes I think like, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know, sometimes you get, I love doing these interviews and you kind of get like sparked and the more you do them, at least for myself. But then I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, damn, I'm still, I'm still a photographer. And that's my main thing. It's like, how yeah. do you kind of balance all those different creative pursuits and still focus on your photography work, which I'm, I'm guessing that's your main passion, I would imagine. Usually it's a lot of coffee, <laughs> <laughs> which I missed this morning. But, oh, man, it's like I, I just have to be organized. You know, I have um, a to-do list in the calendar, and I'm always referring to that every, every morning to see what's on, you know, what's on the schedule for that day, uh, what deadlines are coming up, you know, making sure that everything ends up on that to-do list. Otherwise, I'll forget, you know, because just there's so much to, to have to do. It's like I have to submit an article today. Um, there was, I got a deadline, I think, tomorrow. But I, I, it's already been done, mm-hmm. but I haven't had a chance to, to send it to the editor. So I got to do that today after I'm done speaking with you. And then I got another interview we got to do later on in the afternoon. I'm working on another book. So I got to schedule the, um, I got to produce a schedule for how I'm going to tackle each, how many chapters I'm going to ta- tackle each week, Yeah, you know, and give myself those deadlines. So 
you know, I have to be organized because otherwise if I didn't, if I didn't really structure my life in that way, it would be impossible to get anything done. Yeah, definitely, man. I respect that you do a lot of amazing stuff. And I guess to go back, like, where do you kind of grow up? Like, how do you kind of initially discover photography, I guess? Um, I grew up in L.A. I was born in New York. My parents both immigrated from uh, the Dominican Republic during the late 50s. They met in New York, got married, had me and my brother, and uh, we moved to L.A., and I think it was largely uh, for work. My dad was the pressman. He ran a four-color press for a variety of different companies for I think all his life here in the States. And he signed us up to be members of the Boys Club of Hollywood. It was a, it's an interesting story. He was you know, standing in front of the shop and these kids came by and he just asked them where they were coming from. And they told him, well, there's a Boys Club up the street. So he signed up me and my three brothers for it. And it was there that I learned photography. One of the, one of the counselors there had fixed up the dark room set it up all the chemistry, bought film. And uh, as soon as I started going in there, that's the only thing I wanted to do, just take pictures and spend hours and hours in the darkroom making prints. So um, that moment of seeing that image appear on that blank sheet of paper, man, just sold me on it. Yeah. So for me, it was just like, that's all I want to do is, is, is make pictures. And thankfully, you know, I've been been really lucky that most of my 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 life has revolved around making pictures yeah it's awesome and so kind of hearing your, it sounds like your your father and your family is kind of supportive of your kind of creative pursuits from the get-go pretty much yeah yeah man they i can't even imagine how many rolls of film that they paid to get processed <laughs> you know you go to the market here 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 process this film make prints and oh my god yeah it's it's I think it was probably a bigger ass than I probably thought of when I was a kid. I just thought, I just want to see the prints. And, you know, I was shooting two, maybe two rolls of film and giving it to them and, you know, 30 processing and 36 prints. And as soon as he would get home and I just would tear open the envelope and start taking a look and see what I had made. So. That's awesome. Were you, were you remember your kind of first camera you picked up that you were shooting? Like, oh. Um, yeah, that's hard to say because at the boys club, they had these really old cameras from the 50s, 60s. They were these literally these boxes with a lens on them. I can't even remember what kind of brand they were. Um, yeah, they looked like they were these German-made, probably inexpensive cameras. My dad had a Kodak Reflex 3, uh, which was, was just, I guess, a consumer-grade uh, leaf shutter camera you know, with the film advance lever on the bottom. Uh, and I still have it, though it doesn't work. Um, so I think those are the cameras that I first sort of cut my, my teeth on. But the first real camera that I end up owning, that I, the first camera that I purchased for myself was a Nikon N2000, which was like the least expensive film camera I could buy. It was manual focus, but it had a, a automatic film advance because I couldn't afford like an FM2 or FE2 nah. or whatever was out there. But this thing was relatively inexpensive. And I got that and I think I purchased it with a 15 millimeter lens. And I think I was in college, you know, when I got that. And so that was my camera for a long, long time. That's awesome. What do you, what do you end up studying in uh, college? Were you doing like photography or what, what were you kind of going to school for? Oh, I got a degree in English lab. Okay. Yeah. I had been on the newspaper at uh, Los Angeles City College for about two years. So I had aspirations of becoming like a photojournalist, mm -hmm. but 
um, I wanted to go to Berkeley and they didn't have a photojournalism or a journalism program there. They do have one for graduate school. Um, so I just, I like reading, I like writing. So I just got a degree in English lit thinking that afterwards I would go to grad school, but that never happened. Yeah. So like, even when you're, you're going to school for like literature, like in the back of your mind, you, you knew you kind of wanted to pr pursue photography pretty much. Yeah. Photography and writing. I wanted to combine both of them. So that's why I thought I was going to be like a photo photojournalist, but uh, yeah, I, I, I probably should have just applied to get into the grad school at Berkeley now that I think about it, because I was already there, but I was thinking I wanted to be a photographer, but I didn't really think about applying um, while I was still at Berkeley. I was just, I was so, I think I was kind of burnt uh, from a school and I wanted a break. And that was, I, I sometimes think it was a mistake, but not, you know, my life turned out well enough, but you know, had I had, and I had, if I thought about it a little more carefully than I did, I should probably should just have applied for the graduate school there. And even though they didn't have a photography program, I think I would have learned to be a better writer and I could still have learned and done everything that I wanted to do as a photographer without being in a particular program. Yeah. And while you're kind of going to school, were you, you still kind of just working on your own personal photography while you're there? And what kind of stuff were you photographing, I guess? Oh, it was pretty casual while I was there. I was so much, I was much more committed to my, my studies while yeah. I was there. Cause it was a lot, you know, English major, you're reading a lot and writing a hell of a lot of papers. So I still had my camera with me and I, I would make, you know, photographs on campus, but I wasn't as, um, making as, as many images as I would eventually, you know, start making later. It was, it was, it was just something I did casually more so than anything else. Mm. And what, what do you enjoy about writing? Cause it seems like you, you've done a lot of writing over the course of your career, obviously went to school for it, but what do you enjoy about that process? I, it's, 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 it's another creative outlet. I just, from a kid, I think my parents got me a typewriter when I was in middle school, like seventh grade. And I remember sitting there, um, in front of the Sears electric typewriter, this electric typewriter and putting like a magazine next to me and teaching myself how to type. Right. And then I would just copy the words on there. And I just liked how they appeared on the page. And there was just something about the, the physicality of putting words on a page. And it was really fascinating to me. And, I, and because I was such an avid reader, I really hadn't, like the idea of writing stories um you know I, as a kid you know you make up these stories and i would write them but you know when when i got on the newspaper at lacc that was my first opportunity to try to cut my teeth on being a real writer you know doing interviews with people um researching writing an article and then eventually being part of the team to put out this newspaper every couple of weeks and that and my photography provided me the first real sense that I was capable of doing something that I was good at, but that also was something that I could probably make a career out of. Mm. Were there like any kind of influences on your writing or kind of writers you kind of looked up to even like when you're in school or anything? You know, not, not really. I was, re I was being turned on to a lot of writers when I was in college. Um, I really loved um, when I was introduced to a lot of, um, writers from Central America and Mexico, um, you know, because I, you know, I, I read all the sort of traditional stuff, 
you know, Shakespeare and, and Chaucer and all those other things, but they really didn't fascinate me that much. It wasn't until I started reading stuff that I felt like related more to my own experience, you know, and, and then it was like, oh, wow, there are people out there that are writing about things that I, I find familiar that I recognize. There's a friend of mine, person became my friend and Michael Datcher, um, he wrote a book and he grew up in LA under similar, similar circumstances to what I had. And I think I had read his book um, while I was up in college. And that was really transformative because it was like I was seeing my life on the page. And it was the first time that, that the concept that my life experiences could be, of, be, be worthy of telling a story uh, was good. And I think that in some way also sort of encouraged me to, to think about what I was doing with the camera as well. Mm. Right. To think about that my the things that I see, the things that I experience are just as worthy of attention, whether I'm writing something or whether I'm making a photograph. Yeah, definitely. Because I think you actually have a workshop coming up next month, May 4th. I saw on your website, which the whole it's called Use Your Life to Launch Your Photography uh, Workshop, which it, it, it is interesting because I think I, I, I think about that. I don't I need to do that more myself, this kind of photograph my day to day life, because in my mind, I'm like, man, my, my life's kind of boring. Like I do the same thing every day, yeah. but it's boring to me, but like everyone else's life is interesting to me. It's like, you could be in like Iowa or LA, like where you're mm -hmm. at. And it's just like an interesting kind of perspective is, is that something you've always just been kind of passionate about this kind of documenting your kind of day-to-day -day life? Oh no, no. I think it's only something that's come up recently. I think in the past couple of years, I realized that I'd left so much of my own life undocumented. Mm. Like you, I was photographing things outside of myself, other people, so, um, and I was talking to um, uh, a photographer, um, David Burnett, legend, famous photojournalist. And we were just talking about the idea that, you know, we both had not been really great about photographing our own existence, our own lives. And that I think was the spark of it. And then, so I started photographing my mother-in-law and then this idea came for this course, which I've taught like four or five times already. And it was really transformative for not only for me, but everyone who's sort of taken the class because, you know, like you just said, everyone thinks their life is pretty boring. But what's interesting about the, the, the course and the results that I see from all the students is that they end up seeing their, their lives in a very different and interesting way. And they produce photographs that are really amazing. The last class session that I had about four to six months ago was amazing. Mm. people went to a really personal vulnerable place and everyone was incredibly moved by by the work that was produced and no one had really any experience doing this kind of work when we started but you know once one person sort of takes a risk and takes the risk and goes and goes for it it just cascades and everyone else just does it and by the end of it uh, the body of work that everyone produced was just amazing. It was really humbling um, to see the transformation that happened. It's been one of the more gratifying courses I've ever taught. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and people can go check it out. It's on your website. I think it's uh, what May 4th through, it's like the whole month of May, pretty much. May 4th. Yeah, through, yeah. Through. We, we meet twice a week for four weeks. That's cool. So it's like interactive. So it's like people from all around the world that are kind of on this workshop and that you yeah. kind of it's like an interactive kind of experience and people. Yeah. Get and that's really work. cool because everyone gets to know each other. Everyone gets to see the work. Um, I gave them uh, photographic assignments to do. And then we sit down and we discuss them. I do more than just a critique. I just sort of, you know, 
ask them a, a series of questions, try to get them to think about what they're doing in a way that's very different from than the way they usually perform when they're using a camera. Because mm-hmm. you know, everyone sort of basically teaches themselves how to use a camera and how to see. And I, I encourage them and I really challenge them to sort of take a break from what they do automatically and to be a little more purposeful about doing things and and trying to let go of habits that I'll quantify as bad habits, but more more accurately, habits that you know really prevent you from seeing your world, your environment, your circumstances, the people around you in in a way that if another photographer came, would be easy for them to do. And it's sort of like disconnecting the fact that this is your life and looking at it, oh, this is this is subject matter for good photographs. Yeah. yeah. Like what would be like you mentioned like bad habits? What are like some common habits you see like photographers make you think being like you work with all these different like students, I guess? Yeah, I think probably one of the, the, the um, bad habits is is stopping too early. You know, you see something, you make one photograph, you look at it and then you move on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the the moment hasn't revealed itself in that in that first photograph. That first photograph can you know, teach you in terms of framing, in terms of how you may want to frame the scene. But then it's a matter of sort of waiting or refining what you're what you're composing, carefully looking at what's in the frame and saying, okay, I want to include this, don't want to include that. Oh, someone's going to walk into the frame right now. Oh, that'll add something interesting. And really observing what's playing out in front of you. Mm-hmm. I think most people see one thing, they get really, they get this incredible tunnel vision they take the picture and when they get the photograph back, they see all this other crap that they didn't see when they were making the image and they go, Oh, this sucks. You know? And I think it's, it's that not, not really carefully seeing, which is a bad habit that I think everybody who picks up a camera has to, has to unlearn before they can ever become good with a camera. Yeah, definitely. I know one of the mistakes I made early on and like, you know, sometimes I still do it, especially, I mean, most of my work's like portrait based. I know you do some really great portraits as well is like, I always feel like I didn't want, I was trying to be too nice to the subject, not too nice, but like, I didn't want to take too much of their time. But then, but then I realized if you want to be a good portrait photographer, you really, this like, you got to do the work, like take the time and it's like a whole process and don't feel rushed because at the end of the day, you want to make a good photograph. And sometimes that takes, uh, t- takes time. Yeah. I'm that, that's something I'm still having to learn because I feel that same impulse of not wanting to take um, someone's time. But I have to remind myself that if the person has said yes, that for a period of time um, I'm in complete control. Mm. And that if, if I want to really, make the most of the gift that this person is giving me, I, I'm, I need to push it. Right. They'll let me know. They'll let me know when enough is enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, just make it and just be observing and just wait for that slight tilt of the hand or the curl of the lip or something that's done with the hand that really makes the shot exceptional. Cause otherwise, if you, if you stop too early, I think at least for me, I end up creating the same photograph over and over again. It's different exactly. people, but it's basically the same thing. And I'm looking for something that's a little more expressive. And it doesn't have to be some grand gesture of anything. It just has to be something really quiet and subtle. And if I stop too early, I'm not, I'm not going to get that. Other, other than, you know, just getting lucky. And yeah. I can't rely on luck every time I stop somebody and say, I want to make your picture. 
Yeah. And it's like the worst feeling you get back to look at your, your photos, uh, either oh, digital man. or film. And you're like, dude, why did I do that? Like well, yeah. you, you had the opportunity, but it's, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's like building blocks. You learn as you go. Uh, but yeah, it is, it can be frustrating sometimes. It's like, it's like mental gymnastics, really. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. And it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. Yeah. You know, you're, you're making the decision to stop prematurely or not ask someone to move to a better location because it's better light or a better background. Mm. It's nothing to do with them. It's all about you. Yep, definitely. And I guess to go back, like when you got out of Berkeley, uh, what did you kind of do after school? Did you kind of go straight into working in the photo industry or what was kind of your first step to working in the photo world, I guess? Yeah, I got a job at Nikon and I was a technical support rep there for about eight years. Wow. So I was one of those guys at the end of the line who, who would answer questions about, you know, again, at the time, 50 years of photographic equipment or something like that. <laughs> um which was, it was cool. Um, it kind of, it, it, it weaned me off using the phone to talk into because I'm not a great phone talker anymore because I spent seven and a half hours for eight years talking to people on the phone five days a week. So my wife hates it that I don't want to talk on the phone. I've did it for eight years. Well, now you do a podcast every week. So you're talking yeah, already a lot. Yeah, that, <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> but uh, the cool thing there is because they, they, you had to be familiar with the equipment. So there was a locker there of all the equipment that was being sold at the time and lenses. And uh, they paid for all the film and processing. So there was like a drawer full of Kodachrome and Ektachrome and Kodacolor and Triax and T-Max. And I could grab three or four or six rolls every weekend and go out and photograph whatever I wanted to photograph. And they took care of all the processing. So it was like, it was, damn. Uh, I took advantage of that. I have to say. Wow. I, that's, that sounds incredible. I mean, yeah. Cause like what, so you basically people just kind of call up and ask for like questions and like their camera broke or like how they're trying to use it pretty much. Or is this. Yeah. I was trying how to use it, you know, questions about, Oh, I want to buy this camera. What should I get? Um, you know, they got a new camera. They can't have a problem with trying to figure out how to set, you know, a, um, you know, multiple exposure or, you know, it could be anything or they were looking for an accessory, you know, what's the accessory. So I had this, these books in front of me and I'd be able to give them the model number and how to order it and, Anything and everything that had to do with Nikon came was I, I answered questions and I did it so much. I was like, I could just, it just would pop out of my head immediately. <laughs> now, if you ask me anything about Nikon cameras, like I couldn't tell you a damn thing other than it's a camera. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, looking at your work, it's obviously a lot of like, uh, like documentary based work. And like, I don't know, I don't know if you'd call yourself a photojournalist or like, how would you kind of describe your work if someone asked you, I guess. I, you know, it's, it's always a hard sort of question, but um, I do street photography. I do documentary work. I do portraiture. I do travel photography. Mm -hmm. So, you know, depending on where I am and what I'm doing, it's, it's usually four categories. Uh, I don't really see myself as a photojournalist. I don't do that sort of on a, on a regular basis mm -hmm. um, in the way that people that I, I, I know are photojournalists. I, I have a lot of respect for people who do that, but I, I like the way that I, uh, when I do the documentary work, I feel like I'm still close to, to that approach. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that I have some outlet for that. 
Definitely. And have you always been comfortable just like approaching people? Like I know you, I watched some, some videos with you on YouTube and stuff. And it's like you will approach people on the street to take their portrait or you're doing these documentary stories where you're going to someone's space. Like, have you always just kind of had that confidence to approach oh, people? No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I had to learn. I just had to push myself to start doing it. I started off by just giving people compliments. I found that that was a really good way of being able to sort of approach people yeah. and get over my fear of approaching a stranger. And then that sort of led to me asking people to make photographs or to open their lives up to me. And it's something that, you know, doesn't completely go away. You know, it's been a year since I've been out, you know, on the street. So when I go out in a couple of weeks, um, I'm going to have to get reacclimated to approaching yeah approaching strangers and making their photographs and stuff like that. So I'm, you know, I'm nervous about it, but I'm, I'm sure that once I get started and get the wheels greased, I'll be, I'll be fine. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, you know, something I think about a lot is like, like style and aesthetic. Like, did it take you a while to find your voice as a photographer? And is that like something that's kind of continually evolving as the years go on, the longer you photograph, you think, or is the style and aesthetic not so much something you think about with your work, I guess? You know, it's something I think about. My, my brother re uh, recently commented that when he looks on Instagram, he, he knows it's my photograph by just looking at it without even seeing my name on it. Mm -hmm. which was really flattering to have someone as close to me who could take a look at my pictures and, and knew that it immediately was mine. Um, I don't think I was conscious of, of that, you know, because I was never really in pursuit of a, a, a style mm -hmm. or trying to find a style. I just knew how I liked to photograph. I knew how I like to feel when I'm making pictures. Um, so there are a lot of things that I'm considering when I'm making a photograph. And so that I think that finds its way into the way it looks. I think it's inevitable for that to happen. But, you know, if I was hard, if I was hard pressed to describe what my style is, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. I know what it looks like, you know, this is the way I like my photographs to look, but you know, uh, I leave it for other people to, to figure out what my style is. I just, I just want to make the photographs. Yeah. Cause like for you, like in your mind, like what makes a compelling photograph, what, what is it like you're striving for or looking for when you're, when you're finding subjects, I guess. Mm, it's a moment is what I'm really in pursuit of, you know, always considering light and shadow, line and shape, color, gesture, all those visual elements in terms of just making a good composition. But what I'm really in pursuit of is just a really genuine, interesting moment. And it doesn't have to be something that's very dramatic. Uh, sometimes it can just be really subtle, but when I see it, I just recognize it. And I think that's, that's, that's the hardest photograph to make, mm. you know, is just an odd lyrical, you know, moment in front of, in front of me and being able to capture that. And when that happens, man, it's like the most gratifying thing. And it's hard. I mean, I, I, I can make pictures that are aesthetically pleasing, well-composed, good light, all that stuff, but there's nothing there, right? People can look at it and go, oh, that's a nice, that's a nice well-composed shot. But I know there's nothing there. Right. And it's like, it's the there that I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking for that little spark that excites me when I take a look at the picture. It's a thing that I, I like when I look at someone else's photograph who I really admire, or who I discover on, on Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, when someone has, has captured a moment, man, it just sings. No, so definitely. That's, that's the thing I'm always in pursuit of is that. Yeah. Cause with the, the street photography, when you're going out, like, how often are you, are you going out there and it's coming back with like nothing? Cause it is like, or 
or is it every time you're coming out you're going out you're getting good stuff or is there no, sometimes no, 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 no. if i get if i get one or two good shots yeah when i go out there that's a that's a that's a good day yeah you know and by good it's and by good i define that as as a photograph that's different from anything i i would have done before that day mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be completely successful but it has to i have to look at it and indicate and it indicates to me that i'm i'm mining new territory that i'm trying something different rather than just going out there and making the same photograph over and over again hmm. you know i'm i'm not interested in making a better photograph of someone walking in front of a mural you know that's you know that's not that's not what i want mm-hmm. you know that stuff is always there right it's easy to get and i resist the the temptation to make yet another photograph of like that i have to find another way of making it more interesting and more complex and more of a challenge for myself. If I'm not doing that, then I feel like I had a bad day. So it isn't measured by whether or not I got a great photograph that day. It's more about, well, did I push myself? Did I really challenge challenge the way that I see and make photographs? Definitely. And with like, with the street photography work, it's something I'm really interested in. I haven't really dabbled in it too much myself. Like if I, I which I, I mostly do portraits, but I should, probably should step out a little bit. <laughs> it's uh, but with the street photography. When you go out and do that, is it? Do you have like a goal in mind? Is there like a location? Because I know some street photographers, like in New York, they they have certain streets, and that's where they kind of yeah. camp out and they do their thing. Or like, how do you approach like the street photography? I've been going to downtown Los Angeles for probably almost thirty years. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think Los Angeles is relatively flat. And downtown Los Angeles has a lot of skyscrapers, a lot of old office buildings. Mm. And in the early mornings and the late afternoon, you can get these wonderful shafts of light and reflected light off the surfaces of buildings. And I've always enjoyed going, going there and making photographs. It's changed a whole lot, not just with gentrification, but, you know, there are a lot more photographers that are out there, you know, stalking the same streets. Mm. And it's, it's, it's not like New York where it's really expansive, where you can cover a, a lot of ground. So, um, but I'm going back there just because it's, it's one of my favorite places to shoot. And I think it's just a good way of me sort of getting back into it, but I'm trying to photograph in other areas of, of LA as well. Um, just because I want to get away from, you know, I want to go to places where other photographers aren't necessarily shooting. You know, I grew up in South LA, so there are places down in South LA that, um, I want to get back to and start, uh, making photographs but la is kind of weird because it's not really uh a walking city no so you kind of have to find a place and get out of the car and sort of wander around and see what you can find and it's just it's a little more difficult to find stuff especially you know in the areas of south la where i grew up it's largely residential mm-hmm. so it's like i'm trying to find a pocket where i feel like i got uh, enough variety that i could get interesting images because otherwise I'm like driving around, see something, stop the car, get out of the car, make some pictures, get back in the car, drive some more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just like walking and exploring. So I'm going to have to see whether or not I can find, you know, find some part of LA where I feel like I can, I can cover like four or five blocks yeah, uh, and return to over and over again and produce some interesting work. And when you say you're looking for variety, is it the architecture, this the people, or like this the the lighting, or like what is all the of that? Yeah, yeah, all of the above, all of the above. 
Yeah. 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 So I'll think I, I'll know it when I see it <laughs> yeah. right now. It's, I'm always looking, I'm always looking, but I haven't found it yet. Yeah. I, I lived in the Valley um, when I was younger uh, in Woodland Hills and uh, oh, yeah. you go far out there, but it's all this like targets and like Baja freshes. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, which in itself can be interesting if you can find a way, but yeah. Cause with, with you know, as you know, um, there's not a lot of foot traffic out there. Not mm-hmm. that I'm always looking for people, including the frame, but it's like people are just getting in and out of their cars, going to the strip malls, going to the stores, you know, unless you go into a place like old Pasadena or Venice or, you know, a place where there's just a lot of human activity. Um, it's pretty sparse on, on, on those streets, especially in the suburbs. No, it definitely. So, so you really have to, you have to change what you're looking for when you photograph in those communities. Cause I can't, I can't go out to thousand Oaks or South LA with the same expectations that I have when I'm shooting in downtown Los Angeles, I have to completely change, you know, what I'm looking for and how I'm seeing it, which probably is going to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. Yeah. definitely. And, uh, being that you do street photography and do portraiture, does street photography ever kind of inform your portrait work or is it a, a whole different like mindset when you approach this, the portrait aspect of your work, you think? Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to blend the two. Yeah. I don't think I've really succeeded so much because I really want to create portraits that are uh, taking greater consideration of the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. I don't just want to make a tight sort of headshot, which is kind of like my default yeah. uh, to do. So I really want to think about where is this person in relationship to um, the part of the city that they're in, corner that they're heading in. How can I use all those things in a way that I would use when I was making just a good street photograph? I want to combine both. Mm. Um, so I, that's something I really have to practice because I'm, you know, like, like if we said earlier, sometimes I'm rushing because I don't want to take a person's time. And so I'll just go back for the default, which is just like a headshot or a, you know, or torso headshot and that's it. And it's like, God, I've done that before. Yep. You know, and just like, take your time, get close, get back, include more in the frame, wait for the moment. You know, so I, I've made some images like that, that I think are, are good, but not enough that I feel like um, I'm consistent. Yeah. One, one project I really enjoyed on your website is a photo series called We Cut Heads. Oh, yeah. um, I was just kind of curious what was kind of the backstory with that project and what was kind of your goal with photographing uh, those images? There was a there was a barbershop uh, at the time that's not too far from where I live. And I'd driven by it a whole bunch of times. And I thought it might be interesting to go out there and make a, make some photographs. And it took me a while to finally get my courage up um, to walk in and ask whether I could come by someday and just make photographs. And they were cool with it. Yeah. And so I just spent, you know, uh, half a day uh, making photographs and it was, it was so much fun. Um, I, I, I had a fondness when I, uh, for barbershops from when I was a kid, I liked the environment. I loved the interaction and I knew that it would give me the kind of variety that I wanted to make some interesting photographs. And I applied the, the same sensibility that I had on the street to photographing the barbershop. But what made it even better 
is because I had access and the, and the permission of the barbers there, I could create images that were a lot closer, a lot more intimate than I normally could on the street. Mm. And that's what I really loved about that, that project. Uh, it was probably one of the first projects where I took the initiative to get in touch with somebody and say, can I do this? Yeah. And yeah, I'm really happy with those photographs. It's years now. I can't even remember what year it was that I made those images. It's been probably 15 years now. Oh, wow. And the barbershop is no longer there anymore. Yeah. Um, no, they were incredible. Yeah, because like you, the barbershop is just like a timeless thing. Like it hasn't really changed much. It's still the same chair. It's the same like that yeah. blue, the blue stuff they put. I don't know what they put in that stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just timeless. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying, like, a lot of this photography thing is mental. Like you had driven past this barbershop a million times and knew you wanted to photograph it, but you finally got the courage. And they were like, there was like, yeah, come on in. And I, I think right. everybody can relate to that. There was a guy I, I lived next door to on the same street and it was this old dude. And I drove past there a million times, but I was just too nervous. And then I, cause I was like, maybe he'll get weirded out or he'll get mad. Same thing. This went once and he's like, sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just built up this whole thing in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can psych yourself out really easily. Yeah. Now, there's a restaurant that we've been going to for probably 25 years. Mm -hmm. So once the COVID thing is, is down, I'm going to um, approach them about making some photographs there while they're cooking. The, I, the idea is probably I'm going to invite some friends over um, during uh, like a downtime, maybe like between two and four or something like that when it's less busy for them. Yeah. And, you know, and I have a dinner party with my friends there, but I'll be making photographs like in the kitchen and okay. in the bar and photographing the food as it comes out and then sort of interacting and doing all that sort of stuff and provide them the images so they, they can use on their, on their website or something like that. Definitely. And I've always wanted to photograph um, a scene like that. And I've known these guys for, for forever. So I think they'll be amenable to that. So I'm just going to, you know, take some work, to them and, and see about when we might schedule something because I want to do it, you know, once everyone is able to take off their masks. Yep. No, that's exciting stuff. And I look forward to seeing it and uh, was excited to talk to you about your amazing podcast, the candid frame. Anybody who hasn't checked it out, you can go check it out on Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, basically every podcast platform that's out there. Um, but yeah, what was kind of your goal, like starting Candid Frame? Because I think you started it in 2006, right? Yeah. Um, I just thought that at the time, no one was doing a show where they talked to photographers about photography. There was a lot of focus on equipment. Mm -hmm. And it just gave me an excuse because there were so many people I wanted to talk to. At the time, I was working as an editor for Outdoor Photographer Magazine and a couple of other magazines. And there were certain people who I was interested in, but I knew would never end up in the magazine just because mm -hmm. of the, the nature of the content. And so I thought, well, this will give me an excuse to talk to some of those people. So I learned how to create a podcast, how to create a blog and a website and you know all that stuff. And I just started calling people or emailing them and saying, hey, I would love to talk to you about you and your work. And it's been great. I mean, I've talked to Mary Ellen Mark, um, Bill Allard, Sam Abel, Elliot Erwitt, man. Huh? Elliot, you talked to Elliot Erwitt, Elliot yeah, yeah. That's and it's legendary. like, you know, it's been really uh, cool that I've had a chance to talk to people whose work I've grown grown up on and who I considered like real big inspirations, and have been able to share those conversations with people all over the world. I'm really, really pleased that it's become what it's become. 
And when you were first starting it, like, where were you publishing it? Because 2006, I don't even, was like iTunes podcast even a thing back then? I don't, I don't know. It wasn't, it, I don't think it was yet. Yeah. I don't think it, it was just about to. So basically I created an RSS feed and then there were a bunch of different outlets for podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I think within a couple of months or within a year of me producing the show, uh, Apple iTunes, I mean, Apple, yeah, iTunes yep. uh, incorporated podcasting. And then I was able to get in that way. Yeah, because podcasting, I think I discovered it the year before, so 2005. And I think the first podcast shows were probably late 2004, 2005. And guys like Chris Marquardt from Chris Marquardt in the top of top floor, mm-hmm. Martin Bailey from Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, Jeff Curto's History of Photography, um, and I think uh, John Arnold who did a uh, show called Photo Walkthrough. Um, they were the four podcasts that I was aware of at the time, and they started within probably six months, about six months to a year before I did. So I was pretty, pretty new to the game. And most of those guys are still doing it. So, which is good because, you know, with podcasts, they come and go a lot. Yeah, I think I read a a thing. Most podcasts have less than 10 episodes uh, on it. Like all the ones on Spotify, Apple. I think they all have like the average one is like has less than 10 episodes because uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a lot of work, as you know, Uh, because if you have you for whatever, what's going on like 15 years. Have you taken a break at all during that whole 15 years? You pretty much going solid like every week. Yeah, I've gone pretty solid. I just recently went back to bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. I started off bi-weekly and then I switched to weekly. And then uh, last month I decided to go back to bi-weekly just because I got a couple of projects that I just don't have the time to be able to do a producer show every week. Yep. Um, and that's actually been really nice. Um, I have to be... I have to consider scheduling in terms of who I have on the show because I'm trying to create enough diversity and in in terms of genres and people that I talk to. So having less episodes per year makes that a little more of a challenge, but the fact that I don't have to do all that research every week for that next guest, it's kind of like, yeah, I have like three in the can right now (laughs) and I'm going to do two interviews next week. So I'll, I'll always be ahead of it the way by doing that. Yeah. Um, if I'm ever, if I'm ever doing this full time, um, I might go back to, to weekly, mm. but right now I like, I like the freedom that I have by doing it every, every two weeks. Yeah. Cause I'm sure now that it's bi-weekly, I would sure. It, yeah. The interviews probably could be even better because it gives you that much time. Cause as you know, like if you're banging out like week after week, multiple interviews a week, it's a lot of work, just the research and preparation. So if you give yourself mm-hmm. a little bit more time, you won't, you aren't like worn down, I would imagine. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how do you, how do you, what's your approach? To, like, how do you prepare for interviewing people? And like, how do you kind of find your guests, I guess? Um, yeah. I, I just scour the internet. You know, I follow a bunch of photography blogs. Um, I do this Google search, you know, on, on photography, photojournalism, so I'm on a bunch of different uh, email newsletters and stuff like that. So I'm always sort of keeping an eye out to see if someone's releasing a new book, doing an exhibition. Um, there's some buzz about some work that they kind of have interest in. And I'll sort of like bookmark them and put them in, you know, a folder on my on my desktop. There's some people that I immediately know that I want to talk to them 
really soon. Mm-hmm. And there are other people that I go, okay, maybe I can talk to them um, maybe later on in the year. Um, so it, it, it varies because sometimes I've, I've seen this person's work and it takes years before I finally get them on the show. Just because I, I only have so many slots available in which to do. And it's just like, you know, I can't have everybody that I really want to have on the show. And I'm getting, you know, I get a lot of requests from people who want to appear on the show, but it's like, um, you know, I, it's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of photographers. And, you know, being you got to speak to all these amazing artists, like, what do you think you've learned um, from getting to speak to so many different people? Because I think you've, it's almost like 600 interviews at this point, I think, right? Yeah, it's 556 or something like that. Right. I, I think that the biggest lesson for me is that there's no one way of becoming a photographer. Yep. And, that, and that you don't necessarily have to be a working professional photographer in order to be a photographer. Because there are people who are, I've talked to who are, um, who have like a, a normal nine to five job, but are nevertheless producing really interesting work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people people think that oh, if you're not making a living from it, then you can't be a real photographer. And I've learned that that's just not the case. Um, so I think that was just a big lesson then, that there are so many different ways of being able to to find a way that you can make that your life. Like for me, you know, I'm you know I have a podcast and I have all these different things that I do all which revolves around photography. And there's no one I can point to as an example of, of a model that I followed, right? Because there really is n- no one who really does all the things that I do. I can't point to them and go, oh yeah, they're, they're a perfect example. Yep. You know, it's just like, I just kind of figured it out. And that's kind of been the lesson that it's, I've taken away is that I've, I've found a way of making it work most days. Yeah, definitely. Everyone's past so different. Like I have a friend who does he does video work and he does some CG work. And then I got a friend who does like weddings and then they do some other stuff. And everyone's yeah. just got a different like path. And it's like, yeah, it's so interesting to see how everyone kind of got to where they got, I guess. Um, and have you ever had an interview that this didn't go as planned? And like, it, it, you think that's the fault of the interviewer or the guest or like, because it is like having a compelling interview. It's a real skill. Yeah, it's, well, one interview that I had, um, uh, it's, it's not a great interview just because the, the, the person uh, had an agenda mm-hmm. that they wanted to hit and they just had their talking points mm-hmm. and I couldn't, I couldn't break him of that. So um, I'm not happy with that interview, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's, it's, I don't think I've had an uh, interview that I would consider a bad interview mm-hmm. um, and that I can point to any particular fault. I, I have found times that I felt like the interview wasn't great, but I get emails from people saying how much they love the episode. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I don't, I can't say that I have a real insightful perspective on how well a conversation went that's completely um independent of my own sort of biases in terms of maybe how i wanted it to turn out or how i felt like it so i kind of like i just try to produce as genuine uh, a conversation as i can and then that's it that's my job and so for me to do that i just need to research as much as i can you know reading 
whatever magazine articles out there, previous interviews that they've done, if they've released a book or an exhibit reading, you know, anything and everything that I can just stuff in my head with all that. And then once I turn um, the recording on just listening, Mm. as long as I'm listening, I'm, I'm good. And if I've done all my research, I feel like we, I can have a fluid, interesting conversation between, between two creative people. If I haven't done my research, man, and I'm not listening, I know it's going to be a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> and I hear, and I hear other um, people who do interviews, not just, not just, you know, interviews with photographers, but you know, people who are interviewing like film actors and stuff like that. And it's like, you, you just, you know, they're not pulling their weight and it's frustrating. You know, it's like, oh my God, you know, you got this opportunity to talk to this interesting person and, you know, you're not doing your job in terms of doing your research, trying to come up with an interesting question that is not the one that they've heard for a hundredth time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you interview uh, George Clooney and you go, hey, how is it like to, to you know, act opposite Monica yeah. Bellucci or whoever they were opposite in? It's just like, don't you have something more interesting to ask? You know, so... Yeah, no, it's uh, it is interesting. Yeah, because I've had the same thing where I'll feel like, man, I did a terrible job. Like I felt like it was just kind of a clunky conversation. But then people were like, "I love that." I'm like, "Well, glad someone likes it because I think I sucked at it." (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's just I think what's more important is that you're your your genuine self. Yeah, you're not being pretentious. It's just like everybody, just like everyone is approaches photography in a different way. Every interviewer is different. Mm-hmm. And you just got to find a way of making it feel comfortable for yourself. And if you feel like you were comfortable and you were yourself and you weren't pretentious and you weren't fake and you weren't, you know, and you just, and you show a genuine interest in the other person. Yeah. That's it. Definitely. That's it. You know, cause you know, I've had people who I feel like I'm, who've interviewed me, not so much in podcasts, but uh, someone wrote an article about me and I felt like they were asking me, questions but they just wanted a quote and i felt like they weren't listening yeah and it was just like oh okay because it wasn't like a conversation it's like they're feeding questions to me i would respond and then they move on to the next thing and it was like there was no back and forth that was happening so i i hope I, i know that i never i never do that with anybody that i have as a guest on the show you know, yeah, you can point not to. Yeah, you can tell you have you have respect for their work and you're generally interested. And the way we connected, funny enough, was uh, through the Clubhouse app. Yeah, and we were yeah. talking, man. I really just appreciated the back and forth we were having on there because I could just tell your genuine love of photography. Like I think we were talking about photographers were talking about like if you had any other hobbies, and you were like. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have. You know, this, but I was like, this is my guy right here. <laughs> it was great, man. Uh, wh- what do you think about the Clubhouse app? I guess like with it now it's this new. I mean, the podcast uh, it, just in the last I've been doing it four years, even since I started the podcasting in the last four or five years has exploded. Yeah. And now you got this Clubhouse app, which is essentially kind of like a live interactive podcast in a sense. Like, what do you think about it? Yeah, I've been I've been trying to figure it out. At first, I dabble in that. I don't know if I like this. Yeah, but I think as I have found some people that I've been gravitating to, um, 
I've been liking it a little more. Like there's yeah. a group, a couple of groups that do street photography. Um, there's another group that does like photojournalism, documentary photography. Mm-hmm. There's some other subject matter that I'm kind of interested in. And I think it really is about the people who are sort of gravitating to the rooms. Um, so as long as, as I feel like, oh yeah, th- these people are sort of being genuine in terms of their interaction and what they're sharing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel that there are people who have a sort of an agenda. Oh, definitely. There's a lot of that on there. Yeah. People who are using that to sort of sell and market themselves or something like that, or create a following on the platform. And, you know, I don't, I can't get into those for very, you know, for very long. Um, And most of the time I'm listening to them. I don't participate a lot in the conversations. I may interject like a comment or a question every once in a while, Mm -hmm. but largely it's when I'm working on something like at the, at the Huntington, I'm photographing artwork and stuff like that. So sometimes I'll, listen to that as opposed to listening to a podcast or when I'm editing photographs on the computer, yeah. I can listen to that, you know? And, and so if I feel like the conversations are engaging and interesting, um, it's great, you know, but I popped into rooms where people are arguing and I was like, Oh yeah. I, I don't No, no, no. Thank you. I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> yeah. It, it gets pretty crazy. Uh, do you think you would ever want to do like the, like a candid frame, like live interview? Have you thought about it all? I, Cause no, people keep I, asking me that and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really no. have any interest either. Yeah. You know, there's some people who I'll, I'll, I'll jump into a room with, Yeah, you know, and say, Hey, well, let's do this every once in a while, mm-hmm. just casually, not on a regular schedule. It's okay. Like, hey, I got some time on Saturday. Yeah, let's sit down there and let's just chat for a couple hours and then just open up a room. Yep. But there's no way I'm going to be able to yep. uh, commit to a regular candid frame clubhouse you know like i said i got enough to do and i think it just changes it changes the dynamic because when like we're just talking it's just us or like when you're mm-hmm. talking to your guests it's an like intimate conversation yeah. but when you're mm-hmm. on the app like it or not like people's it, the psychology you you change the way you're going to talk because you see there's there could be like a hundred people in that room so you're going to like edit yourself differently and this is this i feel like it's more of casual like when it's just like one-on-one you know it's a change yeah and then when you invite people to throwing questions or comments and stuff like that it's one of the things that I, I see on there is that um the conversations can go any which way you know if a moderator isn't there and saying okay holding really tight reins on it Yep. it can go off on these crazy tangents yeah. and uh, I don't, I don't know if I like that nah. um, about it, especially when it goes off on something. that's just, just weird. You know what I mean? It's just like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Yeah. And some people just love to hear themselves talk. Yeah. Dude. There's a lot of that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, you you find your you find your little tribe in there, mm-hmm. and so I follow I follow a bunch of people, and if I see their names, I'll pop into the room, yeah, and see how they're talking about it. So, you know, I, I've I've followed a lot of people just because I liked what they said or I liked their work when I followed them on Instagram or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's kind of like, it's like new, and yeah, just, and you know who what you know, I don't know what it's going to really going to turn into because it's still very early, you know, they're just starting to find ways of monetizing it and things like that. So yeah. I'm sure just like with Instagram and Facebook, it's going to change over time. So right, right now uh, it fits into my life, mm-hmm. 
You know, I can use it as a little background noise <laughs> and check in when I want. But yeah, it's for right now. It's 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 not it's not uh, a problem. But I am not going to run lead. Yeah, on that. And, nah, you know, keep, manage, keep doing the podcast, man. Keep what, do they, what do they call the, I'm not going to host one where all of a sudden you sort of have to manage who gets in, who doesn't. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm on the same boat. I just want to keep having these cool conversations with people one on one because someone was saying, like, is this the end of podcasting? I'm like, nah, dude. It's like, oh, it's, no. it's completely different. It's two different things, yeah. you know? But, anyways, um, you better next, man. Uh, what's next for you? Any kind of goals for your work moving forward? Obviously, you, you've already accomplished a lot within photography, but uh, what's next for you? Um, yeah, I think the, this year I'm, I'm working with someone in, tor- in terms of um, sort of making improvements in terms of how I market the show, the podcast to, to get out to a, to a larger, to a larger audience and a different mm-hmm. audience. And also just uh, take all this work that I've been doing recently, the documentary work and finding a way of leveraging that into other paid work. So, cause I like doing that. I like, I love doing the work. I love the work that I'm doing right now at the Huntington. Um, so I would love to get some work outside of the Huntington based on that. So, um, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty much my, my focus. I'm trying to, I do have an, another book that I outlined that I'm writing and I'm doing a video course for, uh, Kelby, Kelby media. Oh yeah. So, you know, I gotta squeeze, you know, 10 pounds of crap into a five pound bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it, man. Well, uh, very next man. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. And thanks for all your years of hard work on your podcast, The Candid Frame. Um, like I said before, people listening, definitely go check out uh, his podcast, The Candid Frame. It's on all the podcast platforms, YouTube, all that. I'll link it. But uh, thank you so much. My pleasure. And congrats on being around for as long as you have. Oh, yeah. There's nothing to sneeze at, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, just after, after being here for more than 10 episodes and being here for a number of years is no small feat. So, yeah, man. Thank you, man. And keep in touch. Thank you so much. So there you have it. That was the Iberian X Pirello episode. I just want to thank Iberian X so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure talking to him about everything he's done over the course of his career and to his journey with photography. Um, like I said, definitely go check out Iberian X podcast, The Candid Frame. Um, some of really amazing interviews he's done over the course of the last 15 years. Um, can't say enough about it. So definitely go check that out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every week on apple podcasts spotify as well as youtube so you can definitely check us out there and yeah also definitely go check out iberianx's work at iberianx.net um, you can check out his photography and he's got links to all his uh podcasts and um different thing he's different things he's working on so definitely go check that out and as always thanks so much for listening and take care